Welcome, I'm Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Full and edited versions of our podcasts are available on our website at www.cato.org. After the attacks on September 11, there has been much talk about a national ID card and better identification measures to protect against future attacks. But do such measures constitute an invasion of privacy and civil liberties? In his new book, Identity Crisis, Jim Harper argues against the push for stricter identification techniques. Jim, could you explain how a better identification system is meant to protect Americans? A lot of people believe that checking identification makes them more safe, and I think it's true in general that knowing who people are makes them less of a security risk to you. If you know the person that you buy a car from and the car breaks down, you can go back to them and ask for your money back. And anybody who you know, you can enforce the law against. But this isn't always the case. And in fact, terrorists who can't be held to account after, they're, after they've killed themselves won't respond to the kind of pressure that identification usually has on people. Another theory behind identification checking is that we can check people entering specific areas like airport concourses against watch lists so that the practice of creating watch lists and then creating checkpoints is arguably a security method. However, the practice is so imperfect and so easy to defeat that the margin of security it provides is probably very small. The uh, terrorist groups who may try to access these areas will simply send their members through the checkpoints to find out whether they're on the lists, and then when the time comes to act, will use the members of their groups that aren't on the lists already. So that's almost a, a broken theory of security itself. The final argument for identification and security is the fact that you can learn about terrorists by identifying everybody who enters a certain area. It's widely touted, for example, that after the London bombings, they were able to figure out fairly quickly who had done what because of the security cameras and the surveillance that they use in London and in the subway system there. Well, that significantly lowers the bar on security, and using it only for forensics just isn't enough. We actually need to have security methods that protect us rather than just helping us figure out after the fact what's gone wrong. And indeed, after a terrorist attack, it's relatively easy to figure out who's done what. So requiring identification of all of us just for forensics is not appropriate. But the question is, how does this threaten civil liberties? Requiring the collection of identification information from all of us poses several different kinds of threats. They're things we're all familiar with, but they definitely need restatement, especially as identification is done automatically and by machine, so that there's, there are greater collections of data about people and what they've done. The first is the notion of surveillance. Identification and identity cards should be regarded as the front end of a surveillance system. We always identify people to check against information we have about them elsewhere. And in the formal environment of checking ID at an airport or at a building or a hotel, more and more that's being used to develop surveillance about us, to develop dossiers and watch what we, what we do and where we go. That's not always bad, but it certainly changes the power dynamic between individuals and institutions. When they have more information about us, they're better able to get us to do what they want us to do. Again, not always wrong, but it's something to be very concerned with. The final concern with national identification and unified identification systems generally is that they are very easy to navigate for identity fraudsters. The reason why we have a large and growing identity fraud problem is because there's a single key to all of our financial identities, and that's the social security number. 
now in our pockets, in our purses, and and handbags, we generally have a key ring with six, seven, eight, ten, or fifteen keys, each of them controlling access to a different part of our physical and tangible lives. Why we should have one key to provide access to our financial, communications, health, and other other type parts of our lives. It just doesn't make any sense. We actually need an identification system that is more secure for individuals and provides less opportunity for thieves to root through our our lives. So the unified identification system we have already in the Social Security number is a problem, and making it even more unified by combining the Social Security number and the driver's license system together is going to make the problem worse. How do we get away from a national ID? What's a better solution? Certainly, we're never going to stop being identified. Identifying ourselves is a healthy and welcome economic social practice, and governments sometimes do need to have information about us in order to work on us or with us. But there is a better way than to have governments be the sole provider or monopoly provider of identification and credentialing services. There's a real opportunity right now to begin shifting identification from a government-provided service to a privately provided competitive service. There are companies, for example, that are beginning to do what's called identity management, where they they provide some verification of who you are. Or better than that, they provide authorization. That is, they'll tell an institution that you are allowed to enter their premises without telling the institution who you are. All the security benefits are available through that process without the possibility of surveillance. So identity management and a, and a wide variety of companies, uh, banks, credit cards, other institutions providing this information to others about people will enable us to determine what information we want to share in specific transactions and who we want to share it with, and likewise allow us to prevent surveillance of our activities by both corporations and governments. So there is an opportunity now to move away from monopoly provision of identification and move to a market-based, dynamic, competitive environment in which privacy and anti-surveillance is one of the competitive features. This has been Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening.